so why did I write this book? I've had a lot of people ask me that question about sort of what led me to, to writing what I wrote. And um, well, the answer is that it's connected to something I, I've, I care about a lot, something I've, I've always sort of cared about. If any of you who've been around my ministry for, for a while, some of you old heads who've been here since the very beginning, so 20 plus years, um, you know there's one thing I'm always thinking and talking about, and it's community. Uh, you know, I think pastors always have sort of certain calling cards, things that are especially known about. Uh, those of you who know John Piper, he's always talking about Christian hedonism. Uh, R.C. Sproul used to always talk about justification. Uh, there's some pastors always talk about church membership or all sorts of different things uh, people sort of especially think and care about. For me, it's community. I've always been thinking, and especially uh, because uh, the kind of diversity of the community that we have here, I'm always thinking about what brings people together and what keeps them together. Right? That, that's something I'm always sort of going back to. I'm always looking for new angles on it, new ways of thinking about it and talking about that. Um, what brings us together, what keeps us together. And now there's a lot of ways of answering that. There's a lot of ways in which I've looked at that question over the years. But one like really quick, simple answer, of course, is love. Love is what draws me to people. Well, love is what keeps me drawn to people. When I say, what, what makes community? It's love. We need to love one another. And as Christians, we get to draw from the best source of love when we think about love, how we might love one another better. We see this in our passage, 1 John 4, and it makes that really direct connection. This is in verse 11 of the passage. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also love, love, ought to love one another. God is love, and it's because of how he loves us, that's how we love one another. And that's, that's beautiful. And that's, a, that's a great verse. Right? Lots of great verses in the Bible. This is a good one. This is a really good one. We love because God has loved us. But I do think it's important, especially in this day and age, to say more about the kind of ways in which God loves us. To sort of draw out a little bit more about what it means for us to be loved by God and then especially for what it means for us to then love one another because of how God loved us. And I think the reason we, we should do more, we have to do more, is that I think community is harder to do than ever before, certainly in my ministry life. Um, I'm not saying anything that none of you are sort of personally aware of or feel. Uh, we look around, uh, there's cultural divisions, there's political polarization. That's, that's just in general, right, around us. But personally, and I, I'm looking around the room, I know many of your guys' stories, uh, there's, and we, we heard from the Marinos, there's, there's personal things that are going on, past hurts, this isolation that people are experiencing, busyness, uh, all sorts of things that make community harder, that make relationships harder, things that you feel you're bearing, and for whatever various reasons, it, it maybe leads you to, to find it harder to be connected to people and to stay connected to people. Uh, that maybe you are connected to people, but then something happens and you have, it's impossible to get over it. It feels impossible to get over it. It's not the same. The community is harder than ever. And so I can say, yes, well, the key is to love one another. We got to love one another. But I think what we want to do is say, how can we love one another in the most vital ways possible? How can you love in the strongest, most significant way possible? Like we need like the, the grade A tier kind of love for love in our community if we want to have the kind of community that we want. And so if we want top tier love, like we see in our verse, let's go back to the source, right? The source of our love is God. And what I want to show you is that what we can draw from God is uniquely strong and vital an intimate type of love, the kind of love that is going to especially help us be a community and stay a community. That what we can draw from God is a beloved love. That's what we'll be talking about this morning. That one of the ways God loves us 
is with a beloved love. And because God loves us with a beloved love, we also can love one another with a beloved love. So I want to look about, uh, think about this morning. And so, so we look at this. If you look down at 1 John chapter 4, it says there very directly, God is love. And when you think of God as love, if you're, if you're reading 1 John, the first sort of more immediate way of thinking about that is that God is love and he loves us with a familial love. So sort of a rule of biblical interpretation is you first start with like the immediate context. And so that's, you might say, the first primary application of the idea that God is love, that he loves us like a father. Right? So you look at the first uh, chapter right before 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 3, it talks about the kind of love the father has given for us, that we should be called children of God. Right? The kind of love that what? God as father has for us. Towards the end of that chapter, it talks about the way we show ourselves to be children of God is, and rather than children of the devil, how do we show ourselves to be children of God is by loving each other like brothers and sisters. So when we read in verse 10, it's not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, we're thinking probably first, God is father, right? God moving towards us in love, bringing us, adopting us into his family. Verse 9 and 10, uh, talking about God the father sending his only son into the world to be propitiation for our sins. Again, God moving towards us in love as father, adopting us into his family so that we become the beloved children of God. So that's one of the ways in which God is love, loving us as father. Here's the thing. That's not the only way God is love, is it? So one of the other things we want to do is, is when you're sort of doing, understanding how the Bible works, it works in sort of layers. So we see the first layer God is love, and we see it in the context of that book, 1 John, chapter, 1 John, that book of 1 John. But that phrase, God is love, is a theme that runs throughout the whole Bible. The next layer is to see what it means for God to be love in the New Testament and the Old Testament. What's see what it means for God to be love throughout the Bible. And one of the things the Bible wants to impress upon us is that God is love in lots of different ways towards us, in all sorts of ways towards us. God is love as a father, right, yes, but he's also loved, the Bible describes God as being like a benevolent king. So in contrast to some of the other kings of that day, he's not this cruel dictator who's just sort of like pushing us around, treating us like property. The God is a king over us, and he's a king in how he shows love and care for us as subjects. Another metaphor the Bible uses is that Bible, the God is, is like a shepherd towards us. So when we think of God as love, he's loving us as a shepherd loves his sheep. So it brings the idea of God loving us with a kind of protecting care, with a guidance. It's another way we can think of God being love. But I think one of the more striking ways to think about God being love, one of the more really just amazing ways to think about God relating to us and loving us, is the Bible says God loves us like a husband loves his bride. And we see this in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 There's multiple places, but one of the more direct places we see this is in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 talks about the church being the bride of Christ. And it makes a point that God loves us like a husband loves his bride. And that's what I mean, that when I talked about God loving us with a beloved love, what I'm saying is, what we're drawing out here is, when I use that word beloved love, I want you to think of the experience of God's love should feel like being in the very best marriage possible. That God loves us with that kind of love with the beloved love of a spouse. Now, to be clear, we're kind of in the realm of metaphor here when we talk about this, right? This human marriage is not 100% equal to the spiritual marriage we have with God. That could get very weird, right, if we went in that direction. It's not 100% the same. However, when we use metaphor, it's not like a throwaway, like God's like, I didn't come up with something here. This is very 
intentional. That all the ways God wants us to understand how we relate to him, all the different ways God describes himself, here's one that he picks and the Bible uses over and over and over again. It's very intentional for God to say, when you think of how I love you, here's one of the ways I want you to think. And yeah, it should probably stick in your mind because it's, out of all, I want to argue, out of all the ways it expresses, the Bible expresses God's love for us, here's a uniquely intimate, committed, passionate, affectionate way to describe God's love for us. He loves us like a husband loves his wife. He loves us with a beloved love. I think it's important and significant because it helps us see then and understand something significant about just who God is and how God is like. If you look around um, the culture or even, well, back then, but certainly if you think about today, um, there's lots of ideas about God out there. Lots of ways, most people sort of have some idea of, of, of a God or believe there's a, something like that. But how people think God is like is different. For some people, it's not so much that there's a God who's personal. It's more like there's a higher power. So you look at a lot of sort of Eastern religions and philosophies sort of lean in that direction. There's a higher state of consciousness you've got to get to. And so basically, you've got to achieve into that state. You've got to do certain practices, do certain things. So life becomes about a little bit of a struggle to finally sort of reach that sort of blessed state. So God is sort of an endpoint, something you've got to work your way towards. So for other people, God is basically like a, a genie or Santa Claus, right? I've, I've talked about this before. So God is someone you've got to get stuff from. Hopefully you do enough of the right things, and then you get what you want from this God. So you're relating to God and sort of constantly trying to sort of win the game, right? be on the good people list. For others of you, uh, you believe in God, but you basically see God as, 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 a, as a mean dictator, as a, as, a, as a cruel being out there. That Like you're always sort of, waiting for the other shoe to drop. So you experience life as sort of always the struggle in which you think always something's going to go bad. And so that's how you think of God, someone who's always out to get you, essentially. And for other people, the way you think of God is almost like a, he's like a grandfather who's asleep on the couch, right? So he's around, but he's mostly checked out. You're mostly doing your own thing. You try to wake him up every so often, right, to, to pay attention and do something for you. For the most part, you see your life as you're living on your own for, for for all intents and purposes, he's out. He's not, he's not involved in your life. You're responsible for yourself. You're a, latchkey, you're a latchkey kid. Life in this world is just basically living on your own. What I want to say this morning is that this is not how God is like. You may think that's how God is like. You may be relating to God this way. But I want you to hear this morning, this is not how God is like. This is not what God is. God is not someone you've got to manipulate. You've got to struggle you got to wrestle down to the ground. you got to trick into paying attention to you. He's not this higher state you got to move into. Here's who God is. He is someone who is intensely interested in you. He's someone who leans towards you. He is someone who actually does want a relationship with you. And not just any kind of relationship, not a casual relationship, not, hey, we're going to be workout partners, not like, hey, we'll do some road trips together kind of God. He's not a kind of God who, who's just going to sort of, Every once in a while, I'll text you to see how you're doing, right? But for the most part, you're doing your thing, and he's doing your thing. He's not equal to, like, a Facebook friend or Instagram friend. He's none of those things. The Bible says the God of the universe is one who wants a relationship of intimacy, of affection, of commitment, of beloved love. He wants the closest possible relationship he can have with you. This is who God is. This is how God wants you to think of himself. And look at the Bible. We see sort of very clear descriptions of God being this way. We see this in how he describes the relationship he has first with Israel. 
God says, Israel is going to be my people. And look at how God describes what it is for him to enter into a relationship with Israel. Very different from the other gods out there and how they spoke about their people. Here's how God speaks about being in relationship with people. This is Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. You know, Deuteronomy talks about Israel being like this sort of, you know, rinky-dink nation, not like a small nation, not like, a, not like mighty Egypt, right? Some of the other nations out there. And God's saying, I chose you not because you were the mightiest. I chose you because I loved you. The imagery here is like, here's this sort of orphan, right? This left on the side of the road and God saying, I'm going to love you and commit myself to you. This is Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 to 20. And I'll betroth you to me forever. Betrothed is I'm going to be engaged to you. I'm going to marry you. I'll betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness. This is basically God's marriage vows, isn't it? Here's how God, here's what relationship with God is going to feel like. It's going to be righteousness, justice, love. And you shall know the Lord. You know, if you were to search in the Bible, there's a phrase that you'll see over and over in uh, the Old Testament in particular. It's this phrase, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your God and you will be my people. What's interesting is this phrase is very similar to what you see in Jewish wedding contracts. So Jewish wedding contracts, the ancient wedding contracts of, of the Jewish people, you'd hear this phrase, she is my wife and I am her husband from this day and forever. So anytime anyone, an ancient Jew was reading their Old Testament and read that phrase, it would have triggered something in their minds. God is speaking of me as, as, as a spouse, as, as a beloved spouse, as someone he wants to be with and committed to. And here's a, here's a cool thing to think about here. What we're looking at here with Israel isn't like just applying to Israel. What the Bible says, Israel was like a blueprint for what God eventually do. So he starts with Israel, and it's sort of this doorway into entering into a relationship with people from all over, from all sorts of backgrounds and cultures and directions, right? What we call the church today. The church is the final fulfillment of what it means to be God's people. God is intending a relationship with people from all over. And what we see, the blueprint when he does with Israel is really a template for what God wants with his church. This type of relationship, a relationship of beloved love, a relationship where it feels, where knowing God and, and being experienced in a relationship with God feels like being passionately loved, deeply loved. You know, I, I, as a pastor, I've had the privilege of officiating a lot of different weddings. And so I, I see some, of, some things that no one ever really quite gets to see. So one of the things I see is the groom, sort of the look on the groom's face. I have the closest view possible, right? Uh, when the groom is standing there with me up front and he sees his bride in the back of the church come through the door and begin to walk up that aisle. And the, it, every single time, every single time, the look on that face is, is something special, right? It's not like, oh, man, why did that, that person show up? <laughs> I wasn't expecting this. Is that what we see there? Right? I'm not yet, fortunately, had anyone say, run out. <laughs> Be like, I've changed my mind. <laughs> right? Every single time, fortunately, what happens when I look in the face of that groom is a, is a look of eagerness, of delight, of affection, of de deep desire. It's a look of like, I can't wait for this person to come up front and for me to be married and be with this person and be with them for the rest of my life. 
The Bible says that's how God looks at you. When God looks at you, he does not see someone he's sort of just like, how did I end up here? (laughs) I messed up. He doesn't run away. When God looks down the aisle at humanity, he sees someone he wants to be with. He sees someone he wants to know and to love. He sees someone who is his beloved bride that he intends to love with a beloved love. Now, that's how God sees us. But that's not the whole story, is it? There's an unfortunate dark side to this love story. And it's really coming from us. God sees us with love. We, unfortunately, see him a bit differently. Our tendency is to. So going back at 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, it says, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. You see what's suggested by that verse. This is a love story of God loving us and seeing us and moving towards us in love. But the other side of the story is that we don't respond in kind. That humanity, naturally speaking, does not respond in love towards God. We don't follow God. We don't listen to God. We aren't faithful to God. And the Bible uses a really striking metaphor to describe our natural way in which we relate to God. That we want to, God is trying to be faithful to us, be in committed relationship with us. The Bible says we commit adultery on God. Again, it's a metaphor, but it's, the Bible's very intentional. It's helping us to understand, here's what humanity is meant for. Intimate, close relationship with the God who made them. And we cheat on God. We see this with Israel. God sort of, says, sort of begins with Israel to show sort of what he wants to have with people. And over and over again, Israel cheats on God. He cheats on God by following other gods, by not listening to God, by rejecting God. That's how the Bible describes Israel's sin. That's how much of a violation of intimacy and trust it is. It's like adultery, what Israel does. Right? It's, it's, it's not like Israel forgot to take out the trash or put away the laundry. Right? It's, this is not a casual, superficial thing we're talking about here. To not be in close relationship with God and to follow other things besides God is like adultery. What's true for Israel is true for any of us. That if any of us, if God were to approach any of us on our own, we, well, we'll, we might listen. <laughs> we might say, yes, this sounds great. But our natural inclination is away from the Lord. It's, I mean, just look around how often we put our love and affection on other things. And we look for them for attention. We look for them for meaning. Think about the things you put at the center of your life. Uh, and sometimes it's good things, right? Things that start off as good. Maybe it's your work or career. Uh, maybe it's certain status that you have in your school, in your neighborhood. Uh, maybe it's a certain way in which you want to relate to friends and others that are around you. So often it starts good, but it becomes, so often, more well, it becomes something else. It becomes an ultimate thing for you. It takes over your life. It's, it's not just about uh, having a good job. It's about making the most money, right, and being in a position of power and authority. It's not just about having friends, but sort of being a friend that everyone sort of pays attention to and gives their attention to and, 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 and follows and, 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 and lifts you up in the ways that make you feel good. It becomes about us. So we put ourselves in a place that we're not supposed to be. All that added up to us basically pushing God out of the way, putting other things in its place. And the Bible is clear what that is. It's us cheating on God, putting other things there besides God. And so given that, it makes sense that God should say, well, you know what? Let me move on. <laughs> Let me do something else. I mean, that's what God should do, isn't it? If you have a spouse, that's that way. That's not what God does with us. We know how human beings are like. Fortunately, this is not how God is like. God decides to find a way where a relationship with him and us can work. And how does he do that? He does that through Jesus. God comes to our rescue in Jesus Christ. 
So Ephesians 5, that chapter we looked at before, talks about human marriage. The Bible says human marriage is ultimately a reflection of a divine reality. The divine reality being the marriage between us and the Lord, but specifically us and Jesus. Jesus is what makes it possible for this relationship to work. Jesus is someone loving his spouse, loving his spouse so much he's willing to give up his life for us. Jesus is God doing that for us. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. It says, husband, love your wives. Right? So here's what husbands are meant to do in their, in their marriages. But do this on this basis. In the same way that Christ loved the church, he gave himself up for her. So what you see from Jesus is the strength and passion of God's love for us. It says that we're dearly loved by God, that we are in fact beloved to God. That God was willing to love us so much, he was actually willing to die for us, to make it possible so we can be in relationship with him. In Jesus, we see the Lord God using his own life, his own life, to clear the debt of our sins, to turn away the guilt of our sin from us, to cleanse us from the stain of our sin that caused us to cheat on God and keep cheating on God. This is what makes relationship with God possible. On our own, we couldn't and wouldn't move towards God. This is not what would happen. So Jesus is God moving in our direction. Jesus is God basically taking us and wrapping us in his arms and never letting go. Jesus is God saying, I'm going to love you and love you forever. And my love is going to remake you and restore you and do all the things that are possible to make it so that we can have a relationship of love and for it to last. That's what makes love, beloved love, that's what makes it ultimate reality. This is life for all of us. This is where all life is headed. A relationship with God in and, Jesus, in and through Jesus Christ. That when you have faith in Jesus, you enter into this relationship with God. An intimate, passionate love, and it will work. It will work forever. And here's the, one of the final chapters of the Bible. Revelation chapter 19. And it says this. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb, the Lamb here is Jesus. The marriage of Jesus has come, and his bride, that's the church, has made herself ready. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Here's the story that holds the universe together. Here's the story that if you're trying to say, what makes sense of reality? What make, what, help, help me find the meaning of human life. Here's the story that gives sense to reality. Here's the story that, that brings meaning to human life. I mean, here's the story that angels retell to themselves. When angels are sitting down in the TVs of heaven and want to binge watch something, here's what they binge watch, all right? This is what they watch over and over and over again. They never check out any other things. They're not interested in any other shows. Anything else happening in the universe. There's only one thing they watch over and over again, and it's this story. The story of God seeking, finding, saving, redeeming, and loving his people forever and ever and ever. That's what the whole universe hangs off of. That's what it's about. That's where we're headed. And to be clear, this love of God towards us that has drawn us to us, and that is leading us to that blessed reality, the Bible wants to be clear, we already are living in it. That God's love is already bonded to us and rooted in us. And that's how we know we're going to be headed in that direction. That's how we know we'll end up there. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 8. It says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, for I'm sure that neither death nor life or nakedness or, da- 
neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Faith in Jesus brings the spirit of God into our lives. And Romans 5.5 tells us that God's love is now poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to you. So that means the love of God, this vital, intimate, passionate love of God, it's not somewhere out there that I'm saying, okay, one day you're going to get there and it's going to be great. The Bible's saying, here's what you're going to experience one day and here's how you know you're going to experience it one day. You have it now in your life. Already now, God's love is connected to you and there's nothing that can come between you and God's love. As God is saying, you have trusted in me in and through Jesus. Through Jesus, I've come into love relationship with you. And I want you to know, the way you know you will always be in love relationship with me is because I've poured my love into you by my spirit. I'm living with you now by my spirit. And so all you're knowing, all, all you got to know is this love is there and it's always going to be there. It's bonded to you. It's forever in you. And nothing can take that away. No past failures or disappointments, no potential threats or dangers that are around you, uh, none of our current cultural tensions, no potential future elections can take away God's love from you, or any of your personal issues, your personal struggles or problems or disappointments or habits, none of those things, none of those things can keep you from God's love if you believed in Jesus. God is love, and we are now and forever connected to that love, to God and his love. Because of that, because that's true, here's the turn here. This is how we know we can love one another. This is how we know we can love one another. We're connected to God and his love, and that same connection, God's love, is what will connect us to each other. But specifically, this beloved love. The beloved love of God connects us to God, and now we see this, it actually now is what we can use to better love each other and experience love for one another. Here's the key to community. If you look back at 1 John chapter 4, one of the things that 1 John does is repeat certain phrases. It can feel like that as you're reading 1 John. And it's just the way he writes. He sort of likes to repeat certain things and say it in different ways as a way of sort of making a point. And so I'm sort of bringing a couple of different phrases together. And you see the point that he's making here if I read these phrases all in a row. So in first, verse 7 of chapter 4, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Verse 8, because God is love. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And a couple of verses later, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. What's the point John's making here? We've got to love one another, and we do so on the basis of how God loved us. Now, remember what we said before. How has God loved us? In multiple ways. As a father, right? As a shepherd. But also, and this is the thread I want to pull, especially, that we want to draw from, as a husband, as a spouse, right? God loves us with a beloved love. And you've seen now, I think, how uniquely special that love is, the intimacy and the vibrancy of that love. And I think the wonderful thing to think about is that's what's available in your relationships, in our relationships. That's what helps us be a community, to be a beloved community. God's beloved love is what we draw from. That's what helps us be the kind of, Community that we especially need to be today, to love each other in the kind of strong ways that are only possible when we're drawing from God's beloved love. Because naturally, if, if I was telling you, hey, love one another, and just sort of just, that, that was it. I wasn't sort of did the whole thing about how God is love and that's how we love one another. If I would just say, hey, love one another, I mean, you would do okay, but uh, human history shows that we, we tend to falter pretty quickly. 
we, we don't stick with it in the ways that we should, right? On our own, we don't do so hot. So let me sort of put this picture in your mind. Imagine that your soul, your life is this well, right? And in this well, the water of that well is love, and you're drawing from the water of love to love other people around you. The Bible says this is reality of sin, what we're born with, right? And sin means that, yes, we have love within us, but it's like tainted, it's polluted. So sure, you're drawing from the well of love within you, but almost inevitably, you end up loving people kind of superficially, right? Think about friends, family members, others who like, you, you don't really press in the ways you should. Or you love uh, sort of passively and apathetically, right? You're, sort of, you're mostly checked out. Or we love in a way that's sort of self-righteous and prideful. Look how much I'm better in loving you than you are in loving me, right? We sort of put ourselves first, right? Look at all the things I do for you, right? We sort of take love, a good thing, and we twist it. So we have this well of love within us, um, but so often it gets twisted and polluted, right? The saving act of God in Jesus is to, is to cleanse us and put a new well in you. So it's not your well that's in you if you're a Christian. The Bible speaks of us being in Christ. So guess what that means? It's the well of Christ that's in you. So you're drawing from a well that's the well of God's love. It's not your love that's in you. It's God's love. And that water is clean and pure. It's refreshing. It's all the things we need to love each other well. That's the love that's available to you. And there's a point I'm making this morning is to say, as you draw from that well of love that's now in you by his spirit, what I want you to draw from, the part of the well you should especially draw from is God's beloved love. His love for you as a beloved spouse. This is Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because, I read this, I said this before, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There's the imagery, isn't it? God's love has been poured into us, and that love includes his beloved love. His spirit is in you. That means his love is in you. His beloved love is in you. And so when we go back now in our passage, 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, this is what you should think about when you, think, when you read this verse. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also love to love one another. Love one another on the basis of God has loved you. And how has God loved you? Lots of different ways. But here's one way especially to think about and draw from, with a beloved love. And I think this is the key for the kind of community that we want. The kind of community that's going to last, that's going to persevere as we live out of really this reality. I can put it sort of in one sentence for us this morning. You're beloved to me. I'm beloved to you because we're all beloved to God and Jesus. This is the key. This is what makes it work for us. Let's, let's just admit, there's lots of reasons we will struggle to have good relationships and good community. Right? I mean, just the virtual fact of just lots of different people in the same room I've made this joke before, like when you sort of, if you were to really ask good questions of, of people in this room, you realize there's a lot of differences, right? A lot of different opinions, a lot of different directions uh, people could go, a lot of different backgrounds here, some of which would clash violently against one another. Uh, think about just the, the media you consume. I mean, if you're honest, uh, you, you swim in media, we swim in, in places, we're around things, consume things from our phones or television, internet, all those things that like, are especially destructive to healthy relationships, especially relationships across different backgrounds and cultures. We have it all around us. We consume it all the time. We have people saying, you can't trust them. Trust us. <laughs> Stick with us. So all around us, we have ways in which um, 
that make it hard for community, that make it hard for relationships, past hurts, past abuse, all sorts of things. But here's one thing that will help, that can begin to help, and it's love. Especially if we love in these ways. If we love with the intimacy, the delight, the commitment, the passion, the perseverance of God's beloved love. When we love in this way, it makes a huge difference. I mean, think about the significance of this coming. One of the things I think you just really should appreciate, the significance of coming to the same place like you do here, same place on some regular basis, on a weekly basis, to do the same things with the same people. Think about what that does over years. And not just, we're not just coming here to watch me, you know, break dance or something like that. I used to be able to do it, not anymore. I'm almost, <laughs> I, 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 used to, I used to joke that I could still do it. I am in my late 40s. I can't do it, right? <laughs> uh, it wouldn't be special. That's, that's not enough to bring people here, <laughs> right? What we come here to do is to do things the Bible calls us to do, to sing together, to pray for one another, to take communion, to hear from God's word. And the Bible says as you engage in those practices with the same people on a regular basis in the same place, something magical happens. Different people become one. Different people come to know each other and love each other in a kind of unity and oneness that is magical, that is supernatural, that reflects who God is. That's God's beloved love among us. So think about what that means when you sort of really press into what we have an opportunity to do. What do you have an opportunity to do if you just say, at the very most basic thing, I'm willing to be around the same people doing some things that God says, if I continue to do them and press into them, something will happen that I can't experience by myself sitting, uh, sitting in my bedroom. Well, think about just even beyond what happens on a weekly basis here. What happens when a community like this then spills out throughout the week and as you share meals with others here, as you visit one another's homes, as you show up for athletic achievements for someone's kids, right, or someone's graduation, as you're there when someone has a big moment or when someone has a terrible moment. When we're there for one another, the significance of what that is. To know that someone's there, not because, well, they have to be there because, you know, they work for you or they're related to you or you pay them to do it. They're there because of something supernatural. They've been bonded to you in love. Of course they're going to be there. And of course you're going to be there. Think about what this does for conflict. I've been thinking a lot about, like, how do we work through conflict? And, and, and I'll be the first to admit, it doesn't always work. <laughs> but I think it can work more often than not. Relationships can continue through conflict if we use beloved love as our key, right? Because that's how marriages work, right? I, I look at the marriages here, and for marriage to work, it requires a sense of love from both partners, right? It can't just be one. <laughs> when both partners begin to say, you know what? This is difficult, but we will press in towards one another with love. A love that's willing on one hand to confess, hey, I have hurt you. I'm willing to admit it and to do repentance and repair. And the other person says, Hey, I'm, you, because you are willing to admit it and confess it, like I will receive it and forgive it. Think about what that does and how that brings people closer. What's true in marriages is true for community, isn't it? It's true for how God is related to us. This is what beloved love is able to do. And in many ways, uh, beloved love, beloved community that experienced beloved love, in some ways, it's, it's us just realizing the place we already are. If you think about it this way, we're already close to God, right, because of his beloved love. We would have been drawn close to God. And here's, it's a simple geography. If you've been drawn close to God by his love, that means automatically you're drawn close to other people, isn't it? If you care about your relationship with God, then you have to care then about other people because they've been drawn in the same way. It's simple geography. The same love that drew me to God 
And Jesus, the same love that drew other people. And so it's that same love that will commit me to the other people around me. So one last thing I want to say. It's in loving each other this way that is able to uniquely show that there's a God in this world. And it's this type of God. Here's what it says in our passage. When the last verse in the passage that we read earlier. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So God is spirit. That means we can't physically see God. However, you still can see God. And how do you see God? When you see different people loving one another. Different backgrounds, different cultures, different experiences. And they're coming together and passionately and intimately loving one another. Because when we love one another this way, the Bible says God abides in us and his love has full effect in us. And it's in that way that you can't, you can't deny it. You can't, you can't push away. You can't say, like, well, that's, that's not real. No, when people are really loving one another, it's an undeniable evidence of something special, something magical, something supernatural. It's evidence of the God who lives within us. That's how people will see God, when they see us love, when they see us love with a beloved love. You're beloved to me, I'm beloved to you, because we are all beloved to God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray that more and more of us would know that and experience that. The more and more people in all our lives would know and experience the same type of love. Lord, thank you for this time and for the opportunity to be together. Thank you for Jesus. And Lord, uh, my prayer, Lord, very simply is that, yes, Lord, we uh, would first know what it is to be loved by you. uh, To have a beloved love in our midst. Um, And Lord... um, Lord, I pray for those, Lord, who have never experienced the love of God in Christ Jesus, Lord. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, show them that you personally came among us to show that this is who God is. This is how the universe is set up. And I know there's maybe push away, Lord, those here who maybe have doubts or instincts that would say that God can't be this way. Lord, I pray that you show in some really tangible way, maybe in something someone said this morning or some way they were treated or some of the words that you shared. Lord, help them to see it really is true. There is a love story that holds the universe together. The universe is not cold and dark and empty. The center of the universe is a God who loves us and moved towards us. I pray for those, Lord, who have not yet experienced that, Lord, that they would even take some small steps in that direction. And I pray, Lord, then, one of the ways that happens is that we love each other better. Lord, there's something that's not, you can't explain it, Lord. It's not a scientific equation, Lord, that explains a beloved love. Lord, beloved love is something supernatural, wrought by the Spirit. And so help us to love each other in these kind of ways. Help us to love each other in the strongest ways possible with your beloved love. Thank you, Lord, that you have poured this love into our hearts and souls. Lord, and so because of that, Lord, may it help navigate Lord, how we move towards each other, how we stay with one another. May it, Lord, help open up new ways to love each other, new categories for how we show love for each other. New ways, Lord, of seeing, Lord, we don't just have to put up with one another, Lord. We can true have a true affection and delight in each other. Um, Lord, do all these things, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.